I invite you this morning to turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. Uh, the point of this sermon is uh, it can't be an idol if you give it to Jesus, but it can be a blessing to everyone if you do. Uh, we're back in 1 Samuel, and we're thinking about growing in Christian maturity. When we think about Christian maturity, we tend to think about it in terms of how we handle bad things. So like we talked about last Sunday, uh, how we handle heartbreak, unfulfilled longings, the suffering of others. That's what marks you as a mature or an immature Christian. So if you respond to heartbreak by trying to break someone else's heart, like Penina did, or if you respond to other people's suffering with avoidance and manipulation like Elkanah did, that would be spiritual immaturity and obviously sin. Uh, but if you respond like Hannah, who brought her pain to the Lord, or especially if you respond like the priest Eli, who walked towards Hannah's suffering with openness, graciousness, prayer, and the hope of the gospel, that's spiritual maturity. Uh, that's what we tend to think about when we think about spiritual maturity, Christian maturity, and we should think that way. Spiritual maturity is, in part, meeting suffering people with openness, facing hard emotions with graciousness, receiving broken hearts with compassion. Spiritual maturity means showing people the graciousness of Christ as you stand with them or sit with them in situations that you can't solve while you prayerfully wait with them for Jesus, the one who can solve them, to give them comfort and help. Uh, but that's not all that spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity is also handling good things well, handling blessings well. Uh, last week I introduced you to the idea that in 1 Samuel, uh, God is renewing the process of maturing his people after a period of failed discipleship, which is recorded for us in the book of Judges. Uh, now, in the book of Judges, there are two contexts that God's people never really learned how to live well in. Or even when they did, they didn't really do a good job of passing those lessons on, teaching those lessons to the next generation. And those contexts are bad times and good times, or what the Bible calls the evil day, which means seasons of difficulty. So war, famine, insecurity, death, sickness, and then also what it will call the good day or the blessed day or the happy day, or more frequently when it's thinking about something very specific, the day of salvation. That's a season of plenty, of health, of new life, success, safety, happiness, and of course, salvation. <laughs> now, each one of these days, or I would probably tend to use the word seasons, uh, presents its own kinds of challenges to us as God's people. As we talked about last week, the evil day challenges us to trust in Jesus's nearness and in his goodness, and as we trust in him, to treat our neighbor with kindness and compassion and generosity, even when we ourselves are in pain and in suffering. But what is the challenge of the good day? The challenge is idolatry. Idolatry, worshiping and serving someone else or something else in the place of Jesus. Now, the Bible recognizes that when God gives us good things, we have the tendency to turn them into idols that we trust in 
more than Jesus, or that we value more than Jesus, that we cling to more tightly than we cling to Jesus, and of course, that we serve more faithfully than we will serve Jesus. We turn blessings into idols in our lives. But as Christians who want to be spiritually mature, how do we stand against that temptation that comes in the good day, in the day of salvation, and enjoy God's blessings with happiness and openness and and thanksgiving without turning them into idols that we trust, value, cling to, love, and serve more than Jesus? That's an important question that Christians need to have answers to if we are going to walk well with Jesus in the good day. Uh, The answer to that question is actually found in our passage this morning. This morning, we're going to see uh, God give Hannah what she longed for last week. She's going to give her the desire of her heart. She's going to have a son. Uh, She's transitioned now from the evil day, the day of longing and heartbreak, to the good day, the blessed day. And we're going to see her do something incredibly powerful in this good day, which is she is going to give that blessing back to Jesus with thanksgiving and with joy because she wants God to take the blessing he's given her and now use it to bless others. And that's what spiritual maturity looks like in the good day, my friends. It looks like thankfully and joyfully and prayerfully returning your heart to God so that he can use it to bless other people too. So like I said, it can't be an idol if you give it to Jesus, but it can be a blessing for everyone if you do. That's the point of this sermon. So let's read 1 Samuel 1, 19 through 28, and then we'll explore this all more in depth. 1 Samuel 1, starting in verse 19. They rose early in the morning, and they worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, his, he knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his, called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear before the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Thus far the reading of God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word which you have given to us. We know for our growth and edification, for our knowledge of you and for how to live with you. Uh, Father, we pray that your word would do its work in our life. But Lord, we know that without your spirit, it will 
uh, be fruitless. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit now would go out with your word as it is read and meditated on uh, so that um, we would have ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe, and so grow in faith. Uh, Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to uh, hear and receive and submit and follow Christ, may they all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to look at is the reality that giving your heart back to the Lord uh, isn't always so easy. And I think our text recognizes that when in verse 21 we read that uh, Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. So Elkanah, Penina, their children, their servants, his grandkids, if he has any at this point, uh, they're all going up to worship the Lord as God has called them to do, but not Hannah or the baby Samuel, right? That's verse 22. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Uh, there's some ambiguity here as to what is going on in Hannah's heart, because on the one hand, uh, her reasoning is totally valid. Hey, I'll stay home with the baby because traveling with a baby is hard. And really, since I'll be giving him to the service of the Lord for the rest of his life, missing this one worship time this year, that's really not a big deal. Uh, that, that reasoning probably sounds familiar to anyone who has young kids, right? Like, hey, honey, like, why don't you take the rest of the kids, but I'll stay home with the newborn because it's just going to be too much today. Right, that's reasonable, it's rational, it makes sense, it's not simple. But on the other side, and you need to know this in order to see the ambiguity here, in the Old, in the Old Testament, male children were required to be circumcised eight days after they were born. And that was usually done by the priests in the temple because there were also sacrifices that needed to be offered as well. It wasn't just circumcision. It was also sacrifices, and that was part of keeping God's covenant in ancient Israel. God actually says, if you don't do this, you're cut off from my people. So given that there isn't any mention anywhere in 1 Samuel of Samuel needing to be circumcised when he got older or of there being some problem with uh, following the rules of circumcision, I think we are very safe in assuming that they had already made that trip with Samuel when he was probably quite a bit younger. So when we hear Hannah's reasoning, I think we're supposed to think to ourselves as we read this slowly and meditatively, wait, so you'd make that trip with an eight-day-old baby, but not with a three-month-old baby? Or six-month-old baby? That's why I'm saying there's some ambiguity here. What's actually going on in Hannah's heart? Is she really acting reasonably, or is she struggling with giving this blessing back to the Lord like she had intended to do. And this is something we all struggle with in the good day. God gives us blessings. He gives us the desires of our hearts. He gives us good things. Maybe it's a loving family. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's a, a good job. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a good education. Maybe it's a dream house. Maybe it's children like Hannah. Like Whatever it is, Jesus gives us this blessing, and it is good and it is joy-filled and it makes us happy. But as we are enjoying and delighting in this blessing, 
we feel the claims of Christ begin to call us to share that good thing with others, to use it to bless others, to serve with God and building up his kingdom. We feel Jesus using these blessings to widen our hearts in, in generosity, right? Kind of like the jaws of life, pulling open the doors of our hearts just a little bit wider. We feel that. And at the same time, we feel the pull of our sin and our pride wanting to push those doors closed and so that we can be protected from the feelings of loss that we are afraid will dwell in our hearts if we give back even a part of this good thing to Jesus. Uh, like we talked about last week with regards to suffering, uh, how Jesus uses suffering is uh, he, he gives us hearts that are more capacious, that have greater capacity to draw near to others in their suffering and to love them in Jesus' name, right? Suffering well with Jesus open our hearts, opens our hearts so we can walk up to people in their suffering and embrace them with the hope of the gospel and the presence of Christ. Well, here in the good day, we feel Jesus using these blessings to open our hearts to others in humble service to them and generous love in, 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 in heartfelt service to Jesus. We, we feel Jesus doing that by calling us to give away aspects of these blessings to others for their good, to sacrifice them as offerings for the building up of the kingdom of God. But because the blessing is good and it feels good and it brings happiness, we fear the loss of that happiness, don't we? And ultimately, I think that fear is rooted in the belief that Jesus actually enjoys our suffering more than he enjoys our happiness and blessing. How many of us have a view of Jesus that tells us uh, he gives us good things only because he wants to take them away? Or how many of us have a view of Jesus that says you get a limited number of good things in life? You get maybe one good thing a year, every year while you're alive. So you better cling to that good thing because it is a limited, finite amount. And as my grandfather used to say, when it's gone, it's gone. That's all there is. There ain't no more. All right? How many of us have a view of Jesus that he is limited in his kindness, that he delights in bringing suffering? I mean, intellectually, we don't have that, I'm, I hope. But pragmatically, in terms of our lived experience, how many of us say to ourselves in the back of our minds, if I am generous with this thing, Jesus isn't going to give me anything else that's as good as it. Or Jesus gave me this thing because he knows I need to learn how to weep and mourn, so i got to give this up so he can teach me suffering. I mean, don't we feel that way? I think Hannah felt that way. And here's probably the right time to say uh, in this series, I think Hannah's, Hannah's struggle with childlessness was rooted in something more than the desire to be a mother, uh, which I know is a very deep feeling. Uh, when you want to be a mom or a dad, uh, that desire goes very deep. But I think there's something alongside that desire that, while maybe not deeper, was very much there with Hannah in her heart. So to see this, we can go all the way back to Genesis 3. After the fall, when God is pronouncing the curses for sin, he tells Satan that the seed of the woman, a boy, a male child, is going to come and he's going to crush Satan's head. That's Genesis 3, 15. That's the first promise of the Messiah in the Bible. We call that the Proto-Evangelium, the first preaching of the gospel. 
Well, after that promise, the hope of every Israelite woman is that she would be the one blessed to give birth to the Messiah. And when Hannah is praying back in verse 11 of chapter 1, which we looked at last week, and she's vowing her son to the Lord, I think it's rooted in this desire that her child, her son, right? She's placed very specifically for a son that he would be a part, participant in that messianic promise. Now, I'm not saying that she's praying very specifically that she would give birth to the Messiah. I think she probably has some self-esteem issues that would make it hard for her to make that kind of a bold prayer to Jesus. Jesus, can I give birth to the Savior of the world, please? That would be great. But I am saying, because she was very clearly saying, that she wanted to participate in that work of God saving and redeeming and working for Israel's salvation and godliness. She wanted her son to bless Israel in their battle against the world and against the flesh and against the devil. Her desire to have a son, I think, is rooted see, both in her desire to be a mom and also in her desire to serve God's people. She wanted to be blessed so that her blessing could bless others with the good news of God's redemptive work. So in that sense, she's like some of us who pray for more money so that we can help the poor. Lord, please give me the ability to make more money so I can help all these people who have all these needs. Or, she, or she's like those of us who pray for a company that we can employ our friends and family and give good jobs to the people that we meet. Or we when we pray for more time so that we can serve more, right? How many of us are so busy and we think, Lord, could you just please take some things on my plate, bless me with more time so I can help all these people in the church, my neighborhood, my family, who need all of this work done. I would love to help them. Or those of us who pray for uh, more education so that we can help people with our skills or with our knowledge. How many people go into medicine, go into law, go into the trades, not simply to make money, I know a lot of Christians go in because they want to bless people. They want to help them. They want to serve them. It's a calling for them. And then the good day comes for Hannah. She's blessed. She gets this good thing like we do. Maybe we get the job, we get the money, we get the education, whatever it is. The good day comes. But now there's a tug of war in her heart between opening her heart to others by giving away this blessing to the Lord and closing your heart because she didn't realize how much she would love this good gift. And in that sense, I think we can all, we all have some understanding of this experience, I think. When you, you, you get something, you just didn't realize how wonderful it was going to be, and you had all these plans for it, but you think, well, if I do those plans, I won't have this wonderful thing anymore. Right? You learn by experience, and here she is experiencing the power of having a son in this tug of war between wanting to love God's people and wanting to hold tightly to this gift that God has given her. And that brings us then to our second point, to Alcana, whose response to this ambiguous reasoning and to the struggle that I believe uh, he saw in her heart, his response is so very wise. So very wise. Uh, just as a side note, I know we saw last week that Elkanah struggled with spiritual maturity and the way that he handled other people's suffering and his own uh, need to own his role that he had in that suffering. But I also pointed out 
that he is a member of God's people, right? He's a worshiper of Jesus. And so this morning, uh, we can see the way that maturity and immaturity can coexist in the Christian's life. Uh, because like last week, Elkanah was very immature. This week, he's very mature. Uh, so he says in verse 23, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. I just love this answer. <laughs> this answer blows me away because I am not wise like this yet. Uh, Elkanah seems to know that Hannah needed the space to wrestle through this with the Lord in her own heart. And he also seems to know the biblical truth that even if you physically take away an idol, it doesn't remove that idolatry from someone's heart. You can knock down all the altars of Baal you want, but if someone still has an altar to Baal in their heart, they're going to serve Baal and build that altar up again when you're not looking. That's something you learn in the book of Judges. See, you and I need to realize, like O'Connor did, that we cannot, we cannot pull idolatry out of someone's heart. We can't make someone trust Jesus more than whatever idol they have. We can't make them love Jesus more than their idols, serve Jesus more, value him more. That work belongs to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, as he forces us to wrestle through this with him in prayer and in our life, just like he did with Jacob in Genesis before he went to go meet his brother. So Elkanah gives Hannah the space to wrestle with her choice. He doesn't guilt trip her. He doesn't judge her. He gives her space, but he does so in a way that directs her heart to Jesus in a way that is actually spiritually helpful. He says at the end, only may the Lord establish his word. Now, some of your translations will say, only may the Lord establish your word. Uh, there is a textual issue there. I'm not going to get into that right now, but I'll give you the points of either meaning. If the text says, as our translations have, or as the text says, as uh, some of your translations have it, may the Lord establish your word, that would mean Elkanah is praying that Jesus will bring Hannah's desire to serve him and bless others to maturity. Hey, do what you want. It's okay. But I'm praying that the Lord will make your stated desire to serve him and his people, that he will bring that to maturity. And if the, Lord, if the text says, may the Lord establish his word, it would mean that Elkanah is praying that the Lord would mature her in the faith, right? The Lord has placed his word in your heart. I'm praying that it builds up in maturity so that you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But either way, Elkanah means the very same thing that we saw Jesus meant in the Lord's Prayer. May the kingdom of Jesus be built up in your life. Your kingdom come. So Elkanah gives her space, but then he gives her a prayer, a prayer that he's praying and that he invites her to pray with him. Right? Lord, establish your word. Lord, establish the desire of my heart to serve you. Jesus, your kingdom come. Hannah, let's pray that together. My friends, when we struggle between opening our hearts in generosity or closing them out of fear of losing God's gift, this is actually a great roadmap for us to help each other work through that and to mature together. Uh, we need to recognize that 
They need to make the choice. We can't make it for them. But then we pray for them and we invite them to pray with us. Like, hey, I, I know this is hard. I know you're wrestling with it. Uh, I'm going to pray that Jesus' kingdom will be built up in your life, that his kingdom come, his will be done. Why don't you join me in praying that? Let's wrestle through this together. That's what Elkanah does. And uh, just to point this out before moving on to our last point, I hope you can see here how individual prayer and corporate prayer are essential to Christian maturity, right? Elkanah prays individually. Hannah has to pray individually, but they also have to pray together. Individual and corporate prayer are necessary to grow as Christians. Okay, so our last point. Uh, so a lot happens between verse 23 and verse 24. This is something the Bible does, and when we read it quickly, we don't always pick this up. Uh, Samuel goes from verse 23 from being not weaned to weaned, not on solid food to on solid food. And in that space, Hannah has wrestled with the idol that was in danger of forming in her heart. So probably for a year or two, a year or two has passed. And the end result of that wrestling is that her heart has, in fact, widened in love for God and for neighbor. It's widened in generosity. It's widened in loyalty. It's widened in service. And you know that because she takes her son and she fulfills her vow and she gives him to the temple and to Eli. Uh, now, obviously, we do not give kids to the temple today and we don't give them to the church and you certainly don't give them to your pastor, praise God. Uh, I love all your kids. Y'all can keep your kids. <laughs> uh, but still, the result of the wrestling that we see here, the result of her maturing by learning to uh, give her blessings back to Jesus so that she can bless others, that is something I really want us to see. Uh, because she doesn't do this in a way that is dour, sad. Do you notice she isn't? pouting when she does this she isn't resigned and slowly trudging her way to the temple with this feeling of well i guess i have to okay here jesus here you go that's not what happens and this is so important for us because how many of us give to jesus that way i know i need to do this and here i'm i'm prying open my cold hand with my other hand in sadness I don't want to give to Jesus that way. I know you don't want to give to Jesus that way. Hannah doesn't give to Jesus that way. Why? Well, the result of her year or two of wrestling in her heart and of praying to Jesus, of praying with Elkanah, that her heart would be open, that has grown her joy and it has grown her vision as she looks forward to sharing God's blessings to her with others. And you can see that in verse 24. You can see how this works. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Uh, I'm going to make this quick here, because I know we're getting a little long. The bull that she brings appears to be a vow offering. So in the Old Testament, if uh, it's the offering you would make because you had, were fulfilling your vow and you wanted to celebrate it with the Lord, Fulfilled vows were a celebration. It was a meal you would go and you would eat with God uh, in the person of his priest together. 
as, a, as this big, huge kind of holiday meal that says, hey, look, Lord, we did it. We accomplished this task together. You were with me and you made it so I could serve you and love you. It's a meal of celebration. And she brings steak, which I think is fantastic. She could have brought lamb, but she brought steak because she's an American at heart. Uh, and then she also brings with her flour and wine. And that appears to be a thank offering, which is the offering you give to Jesus in the Old Testament out of thanks so that you can celebrate his goodness to you with him. Again, it's something you would eat and drink together. And you notice it's bread and wine. And if that makes you think about communion, good. She sits down with Jesus to have this incredibly huge banquet. And by the way, the flowers there, the flower there would make something like 40 or 50 loaves of bread. A skin of wine would feed all, would, would give uh, probably 30 or 40 people enough wine to drink potentially. So as Hannah is bringing Samuel to the temple, her heart's desire is to celebrate her victory over the temptation of idolatry, right? I'm fulfilling my vow. I'm doing what you wanted me to do. And then she wants to celebrate God's goodness to her as he's blessed her. And I think also celebrate the opportunity that she now has and her son now has to bless others because of Jesus's goodness to her. See, my friends, whenever your heart gets wider, your joy gets deeper. And that makes you want to celebrate with God the good things that he's done in you and for you and through you to other people. Uh, when the kingdom of God is built up more in our lives, our happiness, it doesn't lessen. It grows because we know God more. We trust him more. We know uh, that Jesus will use the gifts that we are returning to him to help others uh, the way that he used them to help us. That is the goal of spiritual maturity in the good day. Joy based on a trust in Jesus' continuing goodness and in our blessed partnership with him as he uses the blessings he's given us that we've returned to him to bless others. And, and I'm going to skip reflecting on Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 in this series, which I know is probably an unforgivable sin. Uh, but the, that idea here is also central to that prayer. Uh, the idea that I am blessed to participate with the Lord as he builds his kingdom through the gifts that I have joyfully returned to him. That is how... We grow and mature in this by praying together and individually that the Lord would help us see the way in which our offerings to him bless other people, build up the kingdom, make his name known as we pray for God to give us joy as we give to him so that we can experience his happiness as he blesses others through us. That's what Hannah does, and that's what she succeeds in getting to, and that's what I want us to learn how to do too. So to bring us to a conclusion, again, it can't be an idol if you give it to Jesus, but it can be a blessing to others if you do. Uh, my friends, as we are in, or maybe we're entering the good day, like let's recognize there will be good gifts that God will give us that we might struggle to give back to Jesus so that he can distribute them to other people and use us as ways for his blessing to enter into their lives. Let's acknowledge that that's a real thing. And let's help each other through that struggle with patience, understanding like Elkanah and prayer. And let's wrestle through it with the conviction 
that joy lies on the other side of sacrifice because our hearts will be wider. We will be more generous. We will be more loyal. We will know the delight of Jesus more and we will know more the joy of our Heavenly Father who, as Jesus assures us, remember, loves to give good gifts to his children. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing good gifts and seasons of blessing into our lives. Uh, thank you that it makes you happy to show us kindness. Uh, please teach us to respond to your blessings well and so mature in the faith. Uh, please don't let us turn them into idols, but teach us instead how to uh, celebrate their goodness with you and how to return them to you so that our ability to love you and our neighbor would grow and we could have the joy of joining you as you bless others with the gifts that you yourself have blessed us with. Father, may your kingdom come in our lives and may your will be done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.